0: god is an awesome god god has given us our families he's given us our children he's given us our churches he's given us our schools he literally gave us himself and today we're going to talk some from the scripture about children Jesus loves the little children. We've said it and we've sung it. And I want to take you back to the very beginning of the writing of the Holy Scriptures. And I want to remind many of us and to read for the first time to some of you, especially those that are watching by television and the Internet, I want to read to you from the first chapter of the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And God said, let us make man in our image. Talking to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion Over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, and over all of the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Watch out now. Male and female created he them. And that's where the whole story starts. I want you to listen carefully to those verses because in our culture, in our society, there's a lots of argument as to what's right and what's wrong. As far as God's people are concerned, if God says it, that settles it. God chose to make male and female And to use those two to create the family, the children that both had to be involved in order for creation to take place. And I will offer to you early in my message today, it takes both to be involved to continue what a family is supposed to be. And we're living in the most difficult days of history. We're living in a day when there's a whole lot of people that live in our country that do not feel like they're worth anything, even though they're just as unique as anybody else. They're created by God like everybody else, but because of the environment that we live in today, it is hard for people to understand what it means to just be a human being, to be a child, to grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And a lot of them lose their value real quick, and they become used instead of growing up to be what God created them to be. Any of you ever watch that TV antique auction show where they bring out this stuff and sit it down, and everybody's going like this: well, "Where'd you buy this? And you know how long have you had it? And do you know what you got here? And all that kind of stuff." And most of the time, no, I don't really know that much. Grandma gave it to me. That's about all I know. And then all of a sudden. The uh, the uh, the man at the auction, the man that's educated or the woman that's educated, tell him what it's worth. <gasps> you gotta be kidding me! That teapot is worth ten thousand dollars. Yeah, to somebody. <laughs> How about our kids? What are they worth to God? What are they worth to their daddy, to the mama, to their friends, to their church, to their school? What are they worth? When God made the heavens, the earth, the water, the light, the land, the vegetation, the light, the moon, the birds, the fish, the sea monsters, the cattle, the animals, on and on. He said, good, 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 good. And then he made man. Go back and look in your Bible, verse 31. He said, very good, very good. We're not one of the animals. We're not one of the creatures. We are created in the image of God to be used by God to bring glory to God and to bring love to this sin-sick world. And we've forgotten that. And when you read the Bible, you become aware of how valuable human life is. You you become aware of how special every single little one is from the moment they are conceived in their mother's womb. That God has said very strong words to us. If we do anything but our very best to rear our children up in the way God wants them to go, for most of us, the word "child" or little children brings some emotion. We look at the little babies at the hospital, just been born. We look at the children in the hallway, we go over to school, we see the little kids at the mall or wherever we might go, each of them different, no two alike. If there's something about a little child and sometimes their eyes and how they can look at you, that we kind of go overboard sometimes to spoil them, especially if you make it to grandparents. (laughs) But I can say to you today that we're in trouble in what I'm talking about this morning the church, we grew up singing. Now, Handel did not write this, okay? He wrote the Messiah. I don't know who wrote this. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. There's nothing like them. There is nothing that we will be held accountable for more when we stand before God than how do we take care of the little ones. What did we do to go out of our way to take care of them? And I'm here to submit to you the most challenging time for life of a child in America is the nine months from the moment they're conceived until they're born. The hardest, biggest challenge that they'll make it. And we're told by all statisticians that in our country, 60 million children have not made it out of the womb. What does that mean to us? Do we just back up and say, well, that's life. No, that's not life. That's death. And it breaks the heart of God because... All the things that we need and the way God brings them out when you study your history and you know how the polio vaccine got here, how the open heart surgeries came, and all those great stories of my generation came as God impressed certain people with certain education and certain skills to bring to us some things that we desperately, desperately needed. Polio, when I was growing up, was greatly feared. It's different today. Thank God that the one that put in the research was not aborted in the womb of the mother. God's word says, children are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Wow. They're the greatest. Matthew 18 and 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why is this so? the psalmist says, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is in Psalm 139, verse 14. As I've already said, they represent one of a kind. But let me tell you something. Our children given to us are to be protected. They are to be provided for but they must be protected from the devourer. Because, again, if you know the Bible, there is a creator and there's a devourer. And even the animals have been given this instinct. We can't do our own thing. We cannot, as individuals, go against that which Satan has so much control over. The movies, the computers, the phones, music, you can go on and on with the list. Every single thing I read last week were 85% of the American children that make the eighth grade are watching pornography in some form or another. How do you survive that? When does a time come when, when God's people, which are called by God's name, join their hearts together, pray together, encourage one another together, and strengthen one another, and go against the evil things in order that our children can have a second chance at life? A child's mind is very open and pliable from the time they're little until they grow up. And what happens to a child when they're young will greatly influence what happens to them the rest of their life and how they deal with it. As I'm talking to you, there's a thousand children in the building right next to us. Those children are here and hundreds of adults are there to try to do everything possible for those children to have a personal relationship with the Lord and know that there are those that will stand with them. Children need something positive. They need encouragement. God has taught us that very, very, very clearly. And at this moment in history, when we most need the strength of unity in our community and in our nation, we're voluntarily abandoning it. We've choose to fight each other. We have chosen to separate and don't let one interfere with the other. That in America, we believe in total separation of everything good. Don't ever let this good and that good get together like a good school and a good church. Don't ever let them get together. Why not? Because there's power in that. And the devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like to see a herd coming over the hill. He'll just take us on one at a time. But when God's people that are called by God's name humble themselves and pray and see God's face and are brought together, watch out. Watch out. Our churches and many of our schools have abandoned their roots. And they wonder what's happening to their fruits. When you you leave those things that have been proven to be right, what happens when you start speculating Maybe this will work. And it's all done, in. but that's what they want. That's what they want. That's what the children want. That's what the teenagers want. That's what the young adults want. That's what the middle-aged adults want. That's what the old adults want. That's what everybody wants. Let's give them what they want. No, you don't give people what they want. You give them what they need. And you know what? It's usually not what they want. But later on, they're glad they got what they needed instead of what they wanted because it's changed their life and it's given, given them a grip on life that they can take for all the days. Of their life. What's happening in our schools? I gave devotionals with other students at Pastina High School on the speaker every morning. Teachers gave devotionals. School board members gave devotionals. Anybody that wanted to say something good and positive to kids was given an opportunity. First thing of the day. I can remember when the Pastina Independent School District and every church in Pasadena, and the police department stood just like this. And I lived in Pasadena when it went 21 years without one single murder in the city of Pasadena. Can you imagine such a thing next door to Houston? Why? Why? Why was it that when people moved out here that they wanted to live on the side of the street where they could go to the Pasadena Independent School District? And the and Friends wasn't strong like they are now. We thank God for all of them, Clear Creek, all of that. But I lived here, and I know that when families moved to Sagemont community, they wanted to be on the side of the street where the Pasadena district was, not the Houston district, because there was a huge difference, huge difference, that there was a group of people that had come together in the name of God, not to be religious, but to do right to do right, to live by truth and to teach children truth and warn children, if you continue in that and if we don't do something to stop you, you're going to self-destruct and you're going to graduate and find yourself in a mess. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Where are our guards of our children? Why do we throw them out in the water and hope for the best? Why do we abandon them And go do our thing and let the children do their thing and hope it turns out all right. The problem is our children, just like we are, they're little sinners. Their mama and daddy are big sinners. And maybe their grandparents are bigger and bigger sinners. I don't know about that, but I I want to include myself. The attitude towards our schools and our churches has greatly changed in the last 50 years greatly changed we've become the enemy we have become the bad guys the very thought that you try to correct my child the very thought that you would tell my kids and use the word blood in one of your sermons like the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin what's happening As I said a while ago, I know something about lions. I've been around a whole lot of them. And I've been real close to a whole lot of them. Let me tell you about a lion. A lion knows where to look for their prey. Water holes. You know, Friday, the beer joint. The water hole. Many a marriage has been destroyed at the water holes on Friday. When... The father decided not to go home to his wife, but to go somewhere else. Lions are unbelievable in their speed. A lion can run, if you've been watching the Olympics, a lion can run from a dead stop and cross the 100-yard marker in just over four seconds. We don't have anybody on any continent in the Olympics that can run that kind of 100-meter run. They're fast. All you have to do is give them just one shot, and here they come. And let me tell you another thing about a lion. It's different from all the other cats. The leopard, you cannot say this about a leopard. A leopard, when a leopard charges, he will hit you and hit everybody with you. Boom, 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 and take off. But when a lion charges, the first one he hits, he will stay with you until you are graveyard dead. That's the reason the scripture to those that that read it and know this, it comes alive that the line is chosen. This is who Satan is. He's a roaring lion. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. He puts his thoughts into action. First John 4 says something though that I like. It says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Well, who's in you? well, I got a lot of my mother and me. I got a lot of Uncle Harry in me. You better get a lot of Jesus in you <laughs> because if you're going to be stronger than anything in the world, you're going to need Jesus. And when Jesus comes into your life, then you can say no weapon for me is going to prosper because God takes over. God takes over. I want to give you 10 quick suggestions not commandments. These are suggestions. Number one, start noticing our children. Let them know that you know they're here. Go over and speak to them. Go over and give them word of look and a touch. When you walk the halls of church, to walk the halls of the, of the grocery store, when you're going anywhere, bargain, speak to the children. Don't just speak to their parents. Speak to them. Matthew 18, verse 1. You remember that at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you'll no, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me, but whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. How can you say it any stronger? God says, love my children. For those of you that are guests, our church has this philosophy. Our children are the greatest in this church. Not the educated, not the rich, not the white, the children. They're greatest in the kingdom and they're greatest here. And we're in a gorgeous paid-for auditorium. But before this one was built, we built the most beautiful children's facility in America over here and the largest one for our little ones. Deciding if we didn't have enough money to build this, our kids would be taken care of. And it wasn't a mistake. God provided every need that we had. But our children have got to know that they're special. So that leads me number two. And I'll be real quick. Allow them to talk. My grandmother said sometimes when I was wanting to talk, she would say, children are to be Seen and not watch out. (laughs) Might be good talk, but it's not Bible. That's a wrong statement. You need to hear what children are thinking, or hear if they're not thinking. But they need to have the privilege to verbalize, and so listen to what they say is a third thing. Listen to what they say. Psychologists tell us that if what they say is not important. They don't think they're important. If I can't talk, well, why am I important in anything? So I'll just go out and eat worms, as we used to say. (laughs) Number four, encourage them. Encourage them. We're blessed when we have teachers that encourage us, coaches that encourage us, ministers that encourage us, adults that encourage us. We're so blessed. Encourage the little children. My ear rings out oftentimes when I used to hear my dad when Little League Baseball came to Pasadena. I was eight years old and played on the first of, the, of four Little League teams. And my dad would sit up in the stands. And the one thing he would say is, I'd get two strikes on me, and he would just holler, John, it just takes one to hit it. Just takes one to hit it. Never let you give up. Our children need encouragement. We don't need to beat up on them. But he that's in the world the devil's strong they cannot help without people putting arms around them and that's where we educators and us that that are in the churches come in and families we put our arms around each other and say you're not going to touch our little ones number five showing interest in their future our background and our circumstances may have influenced our past, but we're responsible for the future. Young people are responsible for their future. Ch- parents are responsible for training that child in his future. And children that we show interest in know that they have a future. When are you going to grow up? What are you going to be? That kind of thing. Right now, there are a lot of you that are watching from many places, A lot of you from the penitentiaries. Let me tell you something. God has a future for everybody. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. God has a future. God has a plan. And all things do work together for good to those that love the Lord. Is that not what the Bible says? Yes, it does. If you don't know, that's exactly what it says. And every one of us that are sitting here this morning have an opportunity to live out what the Scripture so clearly teaches. In Philippians 3, 13, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. For those that were baptized a while ago, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Put everything behind. Go with God. That's what it's all about. That's what we do here. That's the reason we are here. Number six, encourage them to ask questions. And let me tell you what to do. When they ask a question, you know, like, did Adam have a belly button? You ready to answer that one? Here's what you say What do you think? Leave it right there. When they ask you a question, let them answer their own question. Then you know what they're thinking when you know what they're thinking, then you know where to start off. And whenever we have that opportunity to encourage our young people to ask questions, it gives them an opportunity to state an opinion. And you know what? Sometimes their opinion's right. Sometimes it leads us in the right way of thinking because they don't have their minds so clouded as those of that, that are older. Number eight, compliment them. There's at least one thing in every kid that you ought to like now some of them you'll have to spend more time with (laughs) but you're going to find it and when you find it major on it and let them know they're somewhere to start they are still on the field they're still in the game and so help them and every child has an ability in some area in some area When children can feel good about the good things in their life, it's a lot better than for them to just remember the bad. And let them know they don't have to be like their brother and sister or their best friend. Be who you are, and you can be the best at something. Number nine, share your good experiences with all the kids. And number ten, encourage them to walk with God. We can do this better in the church than you can in the schools and I understand that. That's our responsibility. But in the church every child needs to know that Jesus loves them. Every child needs to know that Jesus died on a cross because he loved them and he wanted them to have a brand new life. Every child that comes to this church needs to know that God has a plan for their life. And the same way with the school on that one. And again, for the church, our kids need to know that Jesus is coming back to get us and take us home to be with the Lord. You know, in life, there's no reruns. You can't do it. Let's change this and so forth. It's a one-time deal. There'll never be another day of August 21st, 2016. When midnight comes, this day is history. If you make it past midnight, you will not have Today's date on your tombstone. It'll be another one. Okay? But when we direct and encourage people, direct them to forgiveness and encourage them to pray, knowing that there are no reruns, reruns, but adults, I want to close by speaking to us. If you are looking for a place to invest your life that'll pay great dividends, invest it in the kids. This morning in our student ministry, there's many new parents that are coming alongside our staff to rear our children with the love of God and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Every man here and every woman here has something to offer our kids. You've learned something in your life that you wouldn't want that to happen to anybody else. Or you've learned something and you say, "I wish that you could experience this because it's one of the greatest days in my life." So I close with the top five priorities. Number one: that our kids experience a transformed life in Jesus Christ. Number two: that they know why they believe what they believe. You understand what I'm saying there? Okay, what do you believe? Now, why do you believe that? Do they have a reason? The Bible says, let every one of us have a reason for the hope that's in us. Do our children have that? Do they know why they believe what they believe? About any subject you want to talk about. That's very important. That they know why they believe what they believe. Number three. We need to teach our children to develop healthy relationships with students and adults that believe what they believe and want to live like they want to live. Choose your friends right. That's what we have to teach our kids. And number four, that they learn to resist ungodly influences wherever they come from. They got to know the source. We have to help them see the source. And that they resist all ungodly influences. And finally... Help them to learn how to make right choices in every decision they make. Who they marry. Do they go to college? Do they not go to college? Do they do this or this or this? Do they get married? To who do they get married? Do they have children? How are they going to raise those children? All those questions. And you see, this is all a part of the overall plan of God, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes together. And man is made an image of God. And then we go about doing what God told us to do, and we put together protecting our little ones, building stronger homes, getting our men to do like those bull buffaloes coming over that hill and take over their families again and keep the evil ones away. And it can't be done without men to do what men were created to do. I'm sorry, that's not politically correct, but it is biblically correct. And I'll stand on any platform and look you in the eye and show you. Thus (laughs) saith the Lord. And you don't have to believe me because you could take everything that I've created in 50 cents and you still couldn't get a cup of coffee. But if God says it, that settles it. Children matter to God. Families matter to God. Being a team matters to God. And all I say is, if we stand with God, we can just back up when we're doing right and God will say, I'll handle this. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. You take care of my little ones.